You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Uh, we have been going through a series just around where God shows up and calls people, different characters in the Bible. God turns up in their life and he calls them. And we're just, so we're looking at calling. And, uh, and I just want to say, like, as we look at this idea of calling, um, it's less about self-actualization, and it's more about an assignment. God has assignments for your life, all of us. He's going to give us assignments, different seasons, different times. And the hope is that as we look at these characters and their encounters with God, and when he calls them, that we can actually be learning patterns. We're learning what type of things God calls people to, how he calls them, how he prepares them, that type of stuff. And ultimately, you know, we'll say it around here all the time, our highest calling is to look and act like Jesus. To, to be with him, to become like him, to do what he does. And, and so in all of this, that's ultimately what we are focused on. And today, we're going to look at the story of Moses. Now, we are not going to look at the whole story of Moses. We would be here a real long time to do that today. Uh, we're not going to do that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a bit of a synopsis on Moses before we, before we dive into the text and some of what we're going to learn from it. Um, so... Who's Moses, right? Moses is born into Egypt uh, years after the people of Israel had moved to Egypt. If you know the story Charlotte talked about a couple weeks ago, the story of Joseph, right? And Joseph was used by God to be a tremendous blessing to Egypt and therefore make Egypt a blessing to the other nations, which is the call that was on the people of Israel. Uh, but as the years go by, the, the pharaoh, the king of Egypt, passes away. A new pharaoh rises up who doesn't give a rip about Joseph and his family. And what's happening is these people, the Israelites, they're flourishing in the land of Egypt. They're growing in number. And the pharaoh, the king, is absolutely uh, feeling threatened by the presence of this large population in his nation. And so they decide in Egypt to enslave the people of Israel, to put them under tremendous uh, requirements of hitting quotas and different labor in order to essentially beat them down. But they continue to flourish. And, and then what happens is the king, the pharaoh, decides, you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do a genocide, essentially. They're like, we're going to kill all the baby boys. As they're born, we're going to throw them in the river, right? And it's that context of that nation and that time when they are killing the baby boys in the river in Egypt that Moses is born. And Moses, this Israelite child, is hidden by his mother. The mother puts Moses in a basket, and the basket, it says, is covered in pitch. And it's a picture like the story of Noah's ark. Okay? So, so the flood comes, right, and God calls Noah to make this ark and saves the people through it. In the same way, Moses is put in an ark, and he is saved in the waters, Right? Uh, and what ends up happening is that Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby in the water and, and feels compassion and essentially adopts Moses. And Moses is this Israelite who should have been killed in the river, but instead is saved and actually raised in Pharaoh's house. 
he becomes, like the cartoon says, a prince of Egypt. You know, I don't know if you guys remember the movie? But, but that's essentially who Moses was. He's this, he's this dual citizen that grows up in this kingdom. Uh, and the time comes where, where Moses begins to feel pity for his fellow Israelites. And he sees the way they're being treated. And it tells a story in the second chapter of Exodus of how when Moses sees a fellow Israelite being beaten, he attacks the Egyptian who's beating him. He kills him. He tries to hide his body. And in the end, Pharaoh finds out about it. And Pharaoh is coming after Moses. And Moses flees Egypt. And he goes to the land of Midian where he gets married and he has a family. And he spends 40 years in Midian. And what does he do in Midian for 40 years? He shepherds a flock of someone else's sheep in the wilderness. Uh, And in that time, God decides that it is time to bring freedom to my people who are oppressed, who are enslaved in Egypt. And he calls Moses to be a part of his mission to set these people free. And we're going to pick up right there in Exodus 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And the story goes on of more objections from Moses and responses from God. And it's actually one of the longest narratives of anybody being called by God in Scripture because Moses had a lot of objections. He had a lot of questions. He had a lot of fears. Uh, and, and eventually, his last one is basically like, please just send someone else. That's, the, that's after he's tried everything else. He just goes, can you please just send someone else? You know, and, uh, and, and this is what happens. So what I want us to catch, guys, is, you know, what did God call Moses to? How did he call him? How did he prepare him? And what did it require of Moses? Okay? And so first, it's what did God call Moses to do. And this is where it really connects with what Alan Callie was sharing with us about this this practice of Sabbath. Essentially, God called Moses to lead a people from slavery 
into Sabbath. That's, that's the way I look at it. I just take Sabbath to, to summarize everything that God led them into. Because God led them into this, this law, this way of life, essentially. But he's leading them out of slavery first. And I want you to understand that Egypt actually represents okay, this, this embodiment of sin's curse in the world. If you're following the narrative of Scripture and you've just finished reading all of Genesis... Genesis starts, and we talked about this months ago, how when they do what God commanded them not to do, and they sin, and they eat of that fruit they weren't supposed to eat, you see then this progression of violence. You see this progression of self-preservation and self-protection, right? But God comes into that story and calls a people to be blessed in order to be a blessing to others. Egypt is actually the antithesis of what Israel was intended to be. In other words, you see, Israel was called by God to be blessed in order to be a blessing. In other words, the blessing that rested on Israel was supposed to benefit other nations. But Egypt, in the exact opposite way, was enslaving, oppressing, and exploiting others for its own benefit. Are you with me? So Egypt's the opposite. So Egypt is this system that has developed into a whole nation that embodies that response that you saw in Adam and Eve and their descendants after they sinned. And God hates it. God hates enslavement and oppression. And you see in the story as Moses responds to God's call after what we read that God shows up and he wreaks havoc on Egypt. Like Egypt, Egypt represents a whole system of darkness and sinfulness and oppression and enslavement. And God wants nothing to do with it. These ten plagues, that story, it's brutal. And it's really, it's a showdown with the God of Israel. The God who intends to see people be blessed in order to be a blessing to the world around them. And it is his showdown with a kingdom that's the exact opposite of that. And he delivers his people from them. That's what he led Moses to do. These people were overworked and they were exhausted under the tyranny of that system. And what I would say to you guys is this is very applicable to us today. Do you see a people oppressed when you look out on the world today? Can you see the tyranny, the same spirit of that system is still at work in our world today? We, we report extremely high levels of depression and anxiety and boredom and loneliness as a society. And, and we as, as, you know... Christians, hopefully in following Jesus, we're getting freed from it, but you're not exempt from it. You know, you still have to actually follow his way, right? That's what, that's what this group that we're, you know, we're part of, we're seeking to do. We're seeking to follow the ways of Jesus. But there is this system that we can see today still enslaving people. Crazy busy schedules. Working like crazy over time because it's so ex insanely expensive, right? It's cost of living. Or whether it's substance abuse, or whether it's porn addiction, or whether it's binge-watching TV shows on end, or whether it's materialism. Whether it's immersed in our phones or the constant noise. We live in this age that is full of noise. Full of demands calling on us. And God invites us out from that system into a completely counterculture way of life. 
That's what it is to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is countercultural. Following Jesus is resistance to a system of another kingdom. Callie shared this quote with me this week when we were talking about them sharing, and it's a quote from Ruth Haley Barton in her book called Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest, and it's about Sabbath. And she describes this modern life as a kind of slavery that is so new and unprecedented that we have barely had the time to process all the implications. And I would agree with that. We live in a very interesting time in our modern lives, our modern world. There are things that we face and we wrestle with that no generation has before with the increase of technology, the pace of our lives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's wearing people out. And what did God say he wanted, to, he wanted to do? He wanted to lead them out of Egypt, it says, into a good and spacious land. And I would ask you, does your life look good and spacious? Is there space in it? Is it good and spacious in your thought life, in your emotions? Is it good and spacious in your boundaries you put around these things? Is it good and spacious that you've got margin for rest and for the relationships that really matter in your life? Because if it's not, we end up enslaved in all sorts of vices, right? And I'm going to kind of start pulling out from this. We'll talk more on Sabbath and the new year. I just want us to catch that, that what God did with Moses is he led people from slavery into Sabbath. And notice that God didn't just free them from the tyranny of Egypt and, and free them into this do-whatever-you-want sort of anarchy. That's not God's version of liberation. God actually led them from the tyranny of Egypt and replaced it with a law that leads to life. He gave them a way to live that was for their good and for the good of others. And Sabbath is the best example of that. Like when you see that in God's law, there was a law that said you must stop working. You must rest. And don't, don't you remember you were slaves in Egypt? And, and he even doesn't just say you must rest. He actually calls them to a way as a society that even their servants rest. Even foreigners who live among them rest. Even their livestock rest. The law of God, the way of God that he invites us to walk in is actually good for us. And it's good for others around us. The way of Jesus is good news for all. So what does God call Moses to? And therefore, what could we expect to maybe be called to? It's leading people from slavery into Sabbath rest, into the way God has for us. But what kind of person did God use to lead the people? What I'd say to you is Moses had to learn to be led by God before he could lead others. Moses had to learn to follow first. In other words, God will deal with you personally before he uses you publicly. Are you with me? He, he starts with you first. Look at, look at the life of Moses for a second, okay? Now, when he delivers the people of Israel out of Egypt, right? When they leave Egypt, the first sort of sign and wonder that God takes them through for their freedom, their deliverance, is they walk through the what? The water. He splits the Red Sea. Moses, as a baby, was saved through the 
the water. After they go through the water, what do they do for 40 years? They wander in the wilderness, right? What did Moses spend 40 years doing before God met him at that burning bush? He was leading a a flock of sheep. He was shepherding a flock of sheep that did not belong to him in the exact same wilderness. the, The mountain where he has this encounter with God is the same mountain where God meets him and gives the law. So so in his life, God has already taken him personally through what he's supposed to lead the people through. God's proved himself faithful in Moses' trials, in Moses' tribulations, in his difficulties in his life before anybody else is led by him through the same things. Are you with me? But not just that, we see in this part of the story that we read, and we didn't read all of it, there's, there's more in the rest of chapter 3 and chapter 4 in Exodus that you can look at yourself, we'll reference it. But God also took Moses through having to face a lot of the same fears and doubts that the people of Israel wrestled with in the wilderness. And here's the thing I want you to catch this morning, is that your trials and your tribulations, your brokenness, your weakness, even your sin, even your mistakes, God can be using that part of your life to train you to liberate others. Okay, so he's, when you're in there in the wilderness wandering, familiarize yourself with the paths. Get, get, get aware of how it works so you can lead others. I remember a book that... that I never actually read it. I loved the author's first book I read. I picked up, but the title was Don't Waste Your Sorrows. Right? Paul E. Bilheimer. My dad turned me on to his books. But whatever you're struggling with, it doesn't have to remain just a personal struggle. It can actually become a place through which you help others get free from slavery to Sabbath. But here's the thing, when God calls, I'm telling you, it will expose your weaknesses and your fears and all those things. If you look through the narrative of Moses calling, his first thing is like, uh, who am I to do this? feels tremendously inadequate, and God says, I will be with you. Moses' next question is a cryptic version of, who are you? (laughs) because he says you know when I go to the people of Israel and they ask like who is this God what should we call you by it's kind of like that thing where you're at a party and you know maybe um, I've forgotten Lucas's name and I'm introducing Telsey to Lucas and I go oh this is this is Telsey and you just kind of leave out their name and hope that they'll they'll say it right and and that's kind of what Moses is doing he's going hey when I go to the people of Israel like what what would you like them to call you you know, and it's a bit of like, yeah, well, who are you? And then his next thing he comes up to with them is, is to, with God, is like, well, what if I go to them and they don't actually believe that you sent me? And then he goes on and he says, you know, well, well, God, don't you know I've got weaknesses? Like, I don't speak well. And then finally, the, the fifth one I already references where he goes, can you just please find somebody else? Moses felt very inadequate and afraid. And I know for me, I'm familiar with my feelings of inadequacy and my fears and weaknesses. And there's something actually powerful about being aware of them. You know, I I know I deal with the fear of failure. I deal with feelings of incompetence. I can be easily irritated. Right, babe? (laughs) 
the, uh, I can have this like unrealistic idealism that just like messes me up, etc. I could go on here. We could go for a long time, me telling you about my weaknesses and my shortcomings. But more importantly, the question would be, what weaknesses and inadequacies and fears are you aware of that are in your life that are maybe hindering you and stopping you from responding to God's assignment, God's call for you? Because, you know, we all, we really like to, like Moses, we like to avoid it, we like to not deal with it, we like to pretend it's not there, but God wouldn't let him off the hook. And I think that one of the best Pictures of it is right in the middle of the narrative of him being called, and it's at that third point where Moses says, well, what if they don't believe that you've sent me? Let's look at it. It's in the beginning of chapter 4, and it says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. In other words, that staff became something that Moses should be afraid of. And yet God says, pick it up. And not pick it up by the head, which anybody raised in Egypt would know that you should do if you don't want to get picked up, bit by the snake. He says, pick it up by the tail. Like Moses rightfully ran from it. He was afraid of it. You should be afraid of a snake. If you're reading what's gone on in Scripture so far, you know the snake is not your friend, right? And, and, and so he's told, like, that thing that you were ultimately afraid of, pick it up. Take it by the tail. And there's this other reality that the snake actually represents Egypt, this whole system of, the, the writer of Exodus draws this connection between the behavior of Pharaoh and the behavior of the snake in the garden back in Genesis 3, but we won't look at that. I'll just leave it at that. But there's this reality that, that when God calls you to something, when he gives you an assignment, it is going to expose in your heart your weaknesses, your feelings of inadequate, your, your fears, your sin, and he's going to say, face it. Let's call it for what it is. I can tell you that that's been how he's worked in my life. Like this call to do what I do here as you know, a leader in our community, it's exposed all sorts of my baggage. And, and when I actually go before the Lord and I talk to him about my negative emotion or, or sin that's rearing its head in my heart and my life, he's really good at exposing it for what it is. We're in our Practicing the Way group um, just this last week looking at this idea of listening prayer. We're now into the practice of prayer. and I was making some time just to sit before the Lord and listen to him this week. And I was, I was having to wrestle through some stuff that's going on inside of me. And the Lord in his direct, simple way just said to me, you're afraid. Thanks, God. <laughs> you know, and but 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 there's this thing that I've learned in my life that that when I actually just acknowledge it for what it is, right? Or or yeah, you've got an issue with anger, you know, or, or whatever it is. When you call it for what it is, you all of a sudden you expose it to the Lord in a way that He actually can then deal with it in you. 
So when, when he has called me out before on my fear, he then begins to show me the lies I'm believing that are leading to that fear and replace it with truth. And like the simple instruction of God all throughout Scripture, I realized when I had that sense of like, you're afraid, I was like, there's nowhere in Scripture God says that. God says throughout Scripture, don't be afraid. Like whatever it is that you're afraid of, it's not bigger than your God. It's not bigger than your God. And, and I really want you to catch this morning that whatever you're going through right now, whatever you've walked through in your life, whatever weaknesses, things that you face and you're wrestling with, God can use it to lead others from slavery into Sabbath, from that place of bondage into their promised land, from that place of sin into righteousness, the way that God has for them. Some of the hardest seasons of my life have been things that later I'm able to, to, to tell my story to people and it encourages them and it gives them hope and it gives them a way out, essentially. And so don't let your fears and your excuses stop you from saying yes, from surrender. And here's the thing, guys. This is the last thing I want to touch on. It said, what did, what, I said, what did it require of Moses? Well, Jesus, sorry, Moses, talk about Jesus in a bit. Uh, Moses could identify with what the people went through because of God, how God led them. And, and there's this profound thing that Moses actually had to do in his life that it says it this way in Hebrews 11, talking about Moses. I'm just going to flip to it, okay? Hebrews 11, verse 24 says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. In other words, Moses forfeit his identity as a prince of Egypt to identify with the slaves with the people of Israel, instead of, of standing in that place of comfort that he had offered to him in Pharaoh's house as a, a son of Pharaoh's daughter, he said, no, I'm going to stand over here with the Israelites, with these. He, he, he forfeit all of his opportunity over there to identify with those who had been enslaved and lead them into freedom. Who does that sound like to you? This is a picture of Jesus. He's the ultimate hero of this story. The, the Bible tells us that, that Jesus actually is, is God himself come into human form and that he lived a life like we lived. He suffered what we suffered. He was tempted how we are tempted. All of the things that we face in life as people, Jesus has gone ahead and he's been through it. He knows the way. And not only did he go through it and know the way, he actually took upon himself our sin. Like we, we're different than Jesus, okay? We've actually done things that deserve the consequence of sin, that actually deserve enslavement. We've essentially handed ourselves over to be slaves of sin. And Jesus never did that. Jesus lived this perfect life, and yet he says, I'll take it. I identify with them. In all that they walk through, in all the ways they're tested, in all their suffering, in all their pain. And in doing so, he overcomes it and he leads you into freedom. 
And there's this profound thing that happens that if you will actually let Jesus into your life in a deeper way, maybe you already follow Jesus. I know most of you in the room, and I know you do. But there's always this further place that he wants to take us into, into that promised land, into that good and spacious place, into that place of Sabbath, into his way, into his law that leads to life. But it's interesting to me, guys, that... that Moses had a sense of the call of God on his life, but he actually couldn't fulfill it until after he had an encounter. Because you see that in the story in Exodus 2, right, where he tries to bring liberation, and he kills this guy, and he buries him, but then he has to run. And it's 40 years later, he has this encounter with God that we read about this morning, and it's following that encounter with God that he actually steps into the thing that he was called to do into his assignment and and what I find so beautiful so wonderful and that I hope you can connect with and take away today is that that Moses heard this promise from God and it was at the very end of what we read at the beginning right when he says who am I when God calls him and what does God respond to him with I am with you And what you'll see if you carry on looking through the life of Moses is that promise from God that I am with you, I believe became the primary promise that he held to. It became his highest value that God was with him. Jesus walks with you. You can see it in the story that there comes a point where God essentially says to Moses, this is in chapter 33, he says, I'll just send you into what I've promised to you, but I'm just going to, I'm going to send one of my angels to take care of it for you. And he says to God, no, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. And the end of the book of Exodus, the culmination of it is the presence of God filling the tabernacle and being there with the people. And, and we have in Jesus a promise I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. The presence of Jesus goes with you. And the primary thing that we need to get hold of is not all the principles out of Moses' life, but the person of Jesus. Because as you walk with Jesus and you cling to him and you learn to follow him, he is going to lead you into increasing measure of freedom. And as a result, use you to lead others from the bondage, from the slavery of sin into righteousness from slavery to Sabbath and so the prayer today is that you'd realize that there is an invitation from Jesus for you to come deeper into his ways and deeper into freedom and as a result be used of him to lead others and so we're gonna we're gonna receive communion this morning and in so doing I just welcome you like come to the table come to Jesus give whatever you need to give over to him and receive what he has for you. So as Caleb was, was sharing it with us, there is an invitation here to the table with Jesus. And I like the picture of Jesus inviting us over to his table where we can sit with him. Where there is no condemnation. There is no um, heaviness. He's just singing with us. So as Caleb was sharing, I, I was thinking about all the the chains that sometimes try to, to, to stop me and all the things I can say like, oh, I can't do that. It's too hard for me, you know. And Jesus inviting me to this, this place of encounter, this place of freedom, no condemnation. Like 
that, that story, I'm not preaching, I'm just inviting you guys. Uh, like the, the, the message when Jesus came to Zacchaeus' house. He didn't say anything. He just came to his house. He just came to that place. And as they were sharing a meal, as they were sitting there, Zacchaeus said, Jesus, I'm going to turn my life to you. I'm giving my life to you. So Jesus is here in the room. So let's stand. So as you think about Jesus, I want to have an encounter with you. I want to be in that place. I want to invite you guys to come forward and, and, and take the juice. So as you, you receive his body and his blood, we declare that there is healing. There is freedom. There is, um, there is a place of encounter with him in his presence. There is joy. There is hope in this place. And the Bible says, if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His sons, cleanses from all sin. So I, I want to invite you guys to just receive the bread. And if you, if you feel like just say Jesus I receive this as I know you you die for me and your blood Jesus cleans me purifies me brings me back to the fellowship to the communion to the place on, on the table where I can I know you're calling me and I, I'm not enough but you are Jesus so your blood is purifying me. So I just invite you guys to receive the blood in Jesus' name. I want to read a benediction, a, a blessing over your life as you live. Um, Jesus is telling you the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you. Because the Lord has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you to bind up the broken heart and to proclaim freedom for those captives and to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our Lord, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To give you a crowd of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord to display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the place long devastated. They will renew, will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. I bless you, church, as you go. As Jesus is saying, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you. It's not about you. It's not about your strength. But the presence of Jesus that you carry in you. So go and free those who are in captive. Go and share the good news. Go church and be a blessing as Jesus is calling you to free those. To bring healing. To bring salvation in Jesus name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Life Tree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.